Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I have the good fortune to be joined by my friend, Cindy Watson. She has been a social justice attorney for over the past 30 years. She is an international and TEDx speaker. She is an award-winning author. She is uh, the founder of The Art of Feminine Negotiation. She is the host of About to Launch, depending on when we record this podcast, called Practicing on Purpose. The bio is probably too long to do justice to. Cindy, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> so great to be here, Seth. Thanks for having me. All right, let's go back in time a little bit. How did you get started in, so, in the field of social justice to start with? And then we'll talk about the business side. Yeah, no, fair question. Uh, I think for me, I grew up, you know, in on the wrong side of the creek, as we called it. It wasn't the wrong side of the tracks. We were on the wrong side of the creek in a low rental apartment. My dad worked in a factory and we had really spirited discussions around the dinner table from as young as I can remember, frankly, about sort of inequity in the world. So it was a passion that I developed really young. And I think I was one of very few people who was on that mission, you know, knowing I wanted to go to law school and practice. So I, did, I didn't know to call it social justice law. And really there was no such thing. I'm it dating didn't have myself. a name back then. It did not have a name. In fact, even labor law, which was sort of my specialty niche within social justice, really was not a practice of law. But I, I knew what I wanted. I took the courses to cobble together so that I could practice representing sort of under underrepresented people. All right. So you became a lawyer and just wanted to right wrongs and <laughs> help those who were not being helped and were underserved. So you, after you graduated from law school, how did you get, did you work for another firm? Did you start your own right away? Yeah, it's a, actually a funny story. We were just talking about that recently, about sometimes the blessing of the things that you say no to. So I did luck out. It was a very niche market. There were a few firms that specialized in labor law and social justice at the time. I was lucky to get a job with them right out of the gate after passing my bar exams. And after only three years, I was up and offered partnership, which was super wow. flattering and super early. Fast track. But everybody thought I was having a midlife crisis because I, I loved what I did, Seth, and I loved the clients, I loved the practice area, but I just knew I did not want to be there. I didn't feel they were as ideologically driven, very male-dominated firm, no female partners ever in their history. And I'm normally up for that challenge, but I'm like, 
I don't want to be the salmon swimming upstream here. And so I laughed. And uh, as I say, everyone thought I had just completely lost my marbles. But the gift of that was I was young enough as well to have that naivete to think, why don't I start my own firm? You know, I had no line of credit, no credit to speak of, no clients that I knew would be coming with me, didn't have a business plan. But with the joy of having that unshakable belief in yourself, things fell into place. And I'm happy to say I started my own firm, uh, you know, only three and a half years out practicing and things just kind of took off as my reputation grew. So. Well, congratulations on making the leap. And obviously it's worked out pretty well. How did your internet, you know, I mean, you've spoken on the TEDx stage, you've spoken around the world. Um, how did that speak? How did the speaking career start? Yeah, well, I've always loved speaking, but historically, I, I used to do speaking, you know, for for 30 years, and I still do, on social justice issues, on speaking up, on recognizing you have a voice, on affecting political change. But I would say about five years ago, I had a real epiphany myself about the practice of law and how so many people were leaving the practice of law in droves, because we all go into law, most people, the vast majority, because you believe you can make a difference and you want to make a difference in the world. And then the practice of law is so adversarial, so fight-driven. And so, um, sorry, I totally lost my train of thought. I'm assuming you can edit that. Yes. What was your question again? I've never okay. had that happen. Oh, speaking. Um, yes, 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 yes. I'm with Hang it. on one second. Okay, so John, when you edit this, go back, cut my question, cut her response, and we're going to start oh, over. Sorry. And I will ask the question again. Give us a couple. Cindy, yeah. just give us a couple seconds for the sound buffer. Yeah. So you have spoken all over the world. You've spoken on TEDx stages. How did your speaking career start? Well, it's a funny thing, Steph, because I've always spoken. I love speaking to large audiences. And as a social justice attorney, I was mostly speaking about, you know, getting people fired up to believe you had a voice, how you can affect change in the world to be politically active. And then about five years ago, I had an epiphany, partly with disillusionment about the practice of law, because you go to law wanting to really make a difference in the world, I think most lawyers, but women in particular were leaving the practice of law at double the rate of men. And I think it's because our entire system is so adversarial based. And so I had two epiphanies at the same time. One is, oh my gosh, all of life is a negotiation. And so many women either shy away from it or overcompensate, believing that negotiation is all about the fight. When in fact, it's not. If my 30 years have taught me anything of, you know, high stakes negotiations, it's actually those so-called soft skills or traits that people would consider to be feminine that are the strongest negotiations. So I founded Women on Purpose. I created the Art of Feminine Negotiation Program and persuasion programs, as I like to call it. Started really speaking a lot about helping women leverage their sort of innate or natural power to get more in life of what they want and deserve through this Art of Feminine Negotiation. And then more recently, as I started really digging about the practice of law and thinking, there has got to be a better way to practice law. Why can we not practice with purpose and find a way to really um, sort of step into the reason why we went into the law in the first place? And what are some ways we can start to change the practice so that we can better serve our clients as well as better serving ourselves? So I have now been speaking about those for, as I say, the last five years. And, and that has been a joy because it has really rekindled my passion on both fronts. It, it's radiating, so I can totally tell. <laughs> we could spend the whole episode talking about that answer to that one question. Uh, I'll, I'll share something personal, and then we'll get back to it. My father had what I would call affectionately a midlife crisis, let's say 30 years ago, and left his career in journalism to go become a lawyer. 
And, oh, wow. <laughs> and, and his rationale was, I want to stop writing the news and start making a difference. Love it. Yeah. So, and did he find it fulfilling? I believe so. Okay, nice. Yes, yes, I would say so. He hasn't had another midlife crisis since, so I would say that's probably a good sign. <laughs> that is a good sign. <laughs> what inspired you to write the book? Uh, which book? I've, I've got a couple. Do you mean The Art of Feminine Negotiation? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Art of Feminine Negotiation definitely was because as I started working with women, I recognized that the problem, if you can call it that, was even more widespread than I'd expected. And it really profoundly holds, um, well, I'm saying women back, but to, to be fair, the art of feminine negotiation is not actually gender-based. I, I mean, we all have masculine and feminine energy. And one of the reasons I did the TEDx talk on the rise of the feminine was not the rise of the feminine as in women are going to take over the world, but this idea that, my gosh, for so long we've defined success based on this really competitive model where there are winners and losers and where the way to get ahead is to negotiate but never leave anything on the table. That kind of take no prisoners approach. And, you know, I had, as I say, a real recognition that, my gosh, the opposite is true. And no wonder the world is out of balance, because if we continue to define success based on that model, both men and women end up seeing those so-called feminine traits as a liability and shying away from them. So then we get more and more and more masculine energy with less feminine energy and everything tips out of balance. And I think we're seeing that in a whole host of ways with polarization that we're seeing and, you know, from climate change, you name it. So I felt very passionately that if I could change people's mindset and reframe negotiation, what it is and how we do it and how you can actually get better outcomes, better buy-in, more creative solutions, better relationships by taking a collaborative approach where you're still assertive and get what you want, but you can actually find solutions that are beyond what you thought you wanted going into the negotiation. And imagine a world where everybody showed up that way that would be a great way to not only bring the world back in balance, but I, I think it has just profound potential implications. So that was, that is my hope with how that book is received. That is absolutely incredible. I have always said that the masculine energy of negotiation of I win, you lose, I'm trying to take everything I can get yeah. was outdated, antiquated, and adversarial and wasn't long-term sustainable, whereas the feminine energy of let's collaborate, let's all win together is the way the marketplace really needs to evolve too. How have you seen the shift in your work? Because obviously the trend is catching on. I mean, if yeah. you look at everything from conscious capitalism yes. to triple net net, win for everybody, win for the environment, yeah. um, e examples, that's gotta be kind of, it's gotta be kind of an exciting time for you to kind of see our consciousness as a species, like starting to wake up. Oh, it is so exciting and so rewarding because when I first started talking about this, you know, people kind of scratched their heads and looked at me like I'd sprouted an extra head, frankly. So now we're seeing this consciousness, as you say, catch up. And even I would say post COVID, because when I did my TEDx talk, um, it was still a relatively new, newish discussion, right? To be um, really pushing that out there as an agenda for change and to get the world in balance. And I think COVID so shook people to their core that people are ready for more open to a new way of being certainly than in my lifetime. And I am seeing the effects of that both in the practice of law, which is, it excites me about this concept of practicing with purpose, where, especially in social justice law, where you saw, as you can imagine, representing trade unions, a heck of a lot of chest beating at the table and stomping out of the room and slamming their books shut and everybody gets up and marches out together. 
uh, to this newer way of showing up and looking. And I want to clarify, because when most people talk about win-win, they always think it's, they immediately think of splitting the baby. And, you know, a lot of really seasoned mediators even say, oh, if both parties walk away unhappy, I know I've done my job. And I'm like, no, win-win in the classic sense is when you get really curious and you come with such a state of empathy that you truly seek to understand and meet the needs of the other party. And you're not looking to talk over them. You're asking questions and you're learning what their deep why is and what's driving them. And that is where the magic happens, Seth, because that's where the more I know about what you want, the more we can brainstorm to come up with solutions that frankly neither of us would have contemplated coming to the table under that traditional model so it is a joy to see that start being recognized as a valid way to operate absolutely talk about practicing with purpose you want me to just tell you about it what we're what you're incited yeah yes um and I've sort of hinted a little bit at it. For me, as I had my epiphany about sort of the art of feminine negotiation and how all of life is a negotiation, I started really applying those principles back to the practice of law and realizing that, my gosh, this system as being designed no longer serves people. Even people who are the so-called winners in litigation come away feeling like they've just been, you know, a gladiator in the, you know, the Russell Crowe movie, you know, that they survived that and they're lucky to get out with their skin. There's a huge cost. And for the law, for, for the client base, certainly, our system's called adversarial. Think even stuff of all of the language. It's opposing counsel. It's the other side, right? It's make your argument. I mean, everything is about the fight. And that starts to spill over into your personal life. It affects your professional relationships starts to affect your personal relationships and ultimately affects your sense of self, which is why I think so many people generally, and women in particular, are leaving the practice of law. So I started, as I switched to the art of feminine negotiation, I'm like, imagine the power of this in the practice of law, where we get away from that competitive model and start to practice from a collaborative mindset. And yeah, when you're in litigation, fair enough. At that point, you need to you know, put forward your client's position as vociferously as possible. But what if everything leading up to that made the experience more enjoyable for everybody? So people felt heard and respected and lawyers treated each other with courtesy and dignity and respect. And it's, it's starting to get traction, but it's a tough audience because that conditioning runs so deeply in that particular field. But I am committed to help make a change and see a difference. I wonder if you mentioned the conditioning being so ingrained so deeply for so long. I wonder if could we get this taught in law schools? Could we get could we start reaching out to younger, newer lawyers who maybe haven't been brainwashed yet? Oh, that is so my hope. And I'm very proud to say you're one of the first to know, actually, one of the little mini programs that I did on, you know, the art of feminine negotiation and applying it to the practice of law for a better way to practice law, just got accredited for a law, law society accreditation for continuing edu education. So that's kind wow, of exciting. Wow, congratulations. Um, but yeah, but I would love this to, to roll out. And I, I'm not worried about having any sort of ownership of it. I just would love to see this shift start happening uh, out within the practice on a global scale, frankly, if we could make that shift in our mindset. Starts with one at a time. I agree with yeah. you a hundred percent. Now, uh, the subtitle of the book is how to get what you want from the boardroom to the bedroom, <laughs> which obviously is going to get you some attention and certainly <laughs> applies elsewhere than just the practice of law and negotiation in general. 
you say negotiation is everyday life all day, every day. Yeah. What do you mean by that? And should we perhaps replace the word negotiation with something else? Well, and it, you've raised a whole bunch of interesting points that I've really toyed with. And a lot of people are like, well, I don't think of those as negotiation. So, you know, maybe you'd do way better, Cindy, if you stop calling it negotiation. And I think that's true. It would make for easier marketing for me. But having said that, the whole point of the exercise is to wake people up to reframing how we look at it. I want that reframe. I want to redefine what we call it. Uh, so that going forward, it doesn't have that negative connotation. Most people, if you say negotiation, I guarantee the first yes. thing they think about is a boardroom with power suits, right? So, and the boardroom to bedroom, again, a little people are like, oh, Cindy, I mean, aren't you going to end up pushing away because any, certainly any corporate interests? But again, I want to shake people a little bit and make them recognize whether you're negotiating with your kids, your intimate partner, service providers, bank, insurance companies, and or those multi-million dollar deals, these are all forms of negotiation. So personally and professionally, hence from the boardroom to the bedroom. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, technically, I'm negotiating with my wife about what we have for dinner and who takes Absolutely. which activity, right? Absolutely. I negotiate with the dog. That's one negotiation I am not winning, I am sad to say. <laughs> Well, it just depends on, do you have bacon when you offer what you want? <laughs> Absolutely. You might be able to bribe. The, the dog might actually be your easiest subject. It's, yes. The bribe is probably cheaper there to get what you want. That's right. I'm taking too intellectual approach. There's my problem. <laughs> there you go. Speaking of which, I know you're an animal lover. You've also published numerous short stories and a couple books, including Unloved and Endangered Animals. Um, and you won the Golden Oak Forest of Reading Award um, for Out of Darkness. Talk yeah. a little bit about your personal writing endeavor. Yeah, I've always loved writing. Even as a little kid, I'm, you know, I'm embarrassed to say it was like, I think grade three, I wrote a, a play that we ended up getting performed at the, for our school Christmas pageant, right? Oh my but, God. but then when I started the practice of law, to be honest, I lost that, Seth, right? And that's one of the reasons I feel so passionately about practicing with purpose, because so many lawyers end up losing all of those personal passions and dreams and things that fill them up and, and with purpose. So, and it was only when I had kids again, which happened later, we started late and made up for lost time had three kids in three years but God when i had bless kids, you and you still yeah. have your hair i bet no barry you see this thinning <laughs> there's a reason for that but that's when i started writing again i started writing stories for the kids which they loved having these personalized stories and then once i got that bug again there was no stopping me and the the out of darkness book was a biography about jeff healy who's a canadian music icon you may have seen him in roadhouse the movie with patrick swayze he was the blind musician famous for his guitar riffs um, and my husband, ironically, had grown up with him. So I had the opportunity to meet Jeff shortly before he died and just found him such an inspirational story. So I wrote that book targeted for a younger audience. But ironically, it was the adults, the Golden Oak Award is for adult uh, readers, and it really seemed to resonate with them. So it was a lot of fun. Great journey. That is absolutely incredible. I, I can relate on a personal level as well. I had uh, wrote a lot when I was younger and in college and then stopped so much writing for personal pleasure for because I wrote screenplays I stopped when I entered the working world because all the writing was focused on business until yeah. I had kids and I wanted you know my daughter has followed in my musical theater footsteps and I'm trying you know currently wrote my first children's movie because to get you know maybe oh. it gets made and she gets a part you know so I I, I totally understand that oh congrats well, uh, writing it is only, only the first step. Someone's actually got to 
be interested in it, but that's a whole separate conversation. Oh, but kudos. That's a well, big step. Congrats. Well, thank you. That. Thank you. I appreciate that. But we're here to talk about you. So <laughs> talk a little bit about how our viewers and our listeners who want to learn more about all things, Cindy, where is the best place for us to send them? Uh, I would say the best place right now is just go to uh, my website, womenonpurpose.ca. Note it's .ca, not .com, so women on purpose. And you don't have to be a woman to go there or to get value, frankly. There's tons of free resources there. I've got loads of free eBooks. I do a weekly um, podcast called The Art of Feminine Negotiation that you can find there as well, covering every aspect of negotiation, uh, lots of exciting interviews there. And I also do a weekly blog post on, again, everything in negotiation from sort of A to Z. Uh, so definitely lots of resources there, as well as obviously contact info and the opportunity to get a free breakthrough session if someone was so inclined. All right. Well, we greatly appreciate you spending some time with us. This has been Seth Green with Cindy Watson from womenonpurpose.ca. Please make sure you check it out. Cindy, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This has been a blast. Thanks everybody for watching or listening. We'll see you or talk to you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level, but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.